everyone, thank you once again for joining us for our latest episode of INC Radio and it's a special episode, of course, that time of the month. It's time to talk about our next UFC pay-per-view and who better to do that with than my co-host when it comes to INC Radio, joining us all the way from, can we say it's sunny Canada? It's Claire Richardson. I wouldn't say it's sunny right now, there's a snowstorm going on, but yeah, it's glad to be here, pretty much turned into a co-host you're always inviting me back on but got no problem talking about the fights got a great card coming up i'll be frank you're pretty much the only person who's willing title to title fight me. coming up we had one last weekend oh yeah that's true <laughs> probably who knows but i'm glad to be here i love talking to you i love your insight into things so yeah let's see how izzy versus romero goes this weekend and we do want to mention something which you touched on there. We do want to apologize for not having an episode last weekend. Um, there was a lot of technical issues on my end. And it's a shame as well because we had one of the best, arguably one of the best fights of the year in Dan Hooker and Paul Felder, but also Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. I'm sure people far more experienced than ourselves would have dissected that one in a lot more detail. So... Yeah, I didn't feel right talking about a boxing event in front of everybody. I didn't think like that would be a good idea to do because I don't think I got the mind for that. I would just sound like a dirty casual if I tried talking about that. <laughs> so maybe next time. The sad thing is we're going to have to be doing it in another, what, three or four months' time because they just announced the uh, third fight's happening. Yeah, he exercised the rematch clause, so... Yeah, I'm going to have to research a bit more about those techniques and what I'm talking about because I'm just going to be talking about hooks and stuff. I wouldn't really know at all about the technique in boxing or anything like that. So I didn't even want to try, but we'll try next time. Thankfully, though, when it comes to Deontay Wilder, you won't need to be talking about technique. Yeah, we'll most likely just be talking about power, really. So we'll have to do that next time. I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to see us ramble on about boxing, but we are here to talk about mixed martial arts. UFC 248 is just around the corner, with Israel Adesanya taking on Yoel Romero. Now, before we get onto the actual card itself, we just want to be talking about some of these stories, some of the rumours which have been happening in MMA over the past week, and also give ourselves an opportunity to talk about what is frankly one of the most bizarre UFC cards over the past, say, five or six years, and that was one that happened in Norfolk over last Sunday. We'll just sort of touch on this in a little bit more detail. What the hell was going on? Uh, there was a lot going on on that card. There's a lot to talk about, but it's not the main focus, but we could try and talk about it. But I feel like the perfect thing to bring up when we're talking about that is maybe the Kutalaba fight with probably one of the worst uh, referee stoppages I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know what was going on in that fight. Uh, if you go back and watch the replay, it's very damaging when you watch the replay. And when I was watching the fight the first time, I, I could see it. But then when they showed that slow motion replay, uh, none of those shots really landed hard, if you could see. Did you see any of that? Or? I did. I take a very similar position to yourselves. I think when you see it in real time, and you're in the heat of the moment, you could understand where Kevin McDonald yes. was coming from. Because it did look like he was getting rocked. But when you see the replays, and even when you see it in real time again, you can see how much Kutalaba is exaggerating his movements. Unfortunately, yeah. the, the issue was that Kevin McDonald saw that as him being genuinely rocked. And the moment he 
It's ironic as well, he was just throwing a big overhand right, arguably one of the best punches during that entire sequence, just as McDonald stops the fight. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like replay could have helped in that situation, but referee has final call. You can't really overturn a referee, you know? So, like, who's going to go in there and overturn the referee? Like, the commission guy? Like, we can't really have that, but... You know, maybe replay, something to do with replay can impact. Maybe it can go to, like, a decision or something. If the replay is that damaging, I feel like that could be something. Like, maybe you just go straight to the scorecards. I don't know. Where do you think? <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm fairly certain he'll win the fight again. I can yeah. possibly see it at 2.49. Obviously, with Ankalaev having his Russian connections, that would make sense with a Khabib mm -hmm. undercard. And I would like to see it back again, because those two are some very, very heavy hitters. Yeah, I could see that rematch going uh, maybe a little bit more in Kutalaba's favor if he goes out there and he doesn't want something like that to happen again. You could have maybe the beginning of the Stevens versus Zabit fight where they just go crazy at the very beginning, like they just try and knock each other out very quickly. So, you know, something like that. I certainly think so. I'd certainly hope so. I was just waiting to see if there was a little bit of a delay on our end. Curse these transatlantic calls. Yeah. <laughs> but even away from that, we had all of the issues surrounding we all the all the issues surrounding the flyweight title, which is currently vacant. Davidson Figueredo mm -hmm. missed weight for his fight. Joe Benavidez though was given the opportunity to be the champion if he was able to get the victory. Unfortunately from his perspective, however, and the perspective of Megan Levy, Check out her reaction video if you get the chance. It was Figueiredo with one of the best flyweight knockouts you'll ever see. I have not seen the Megan O'Leary reaction video. I normally don't like watching videos during the podcast because then you'll just have my raw reaction. But I'll have to check that out. But I did see uh, Karen Bryant's reaction to uh, the Kutalaba fight i saw the end and she was pretty much saying that's not a win dude you gotta run that back but that magno levy video sounds interesting was that like heart-wrenching was it sad it was she she obviously shoots up she's sitting behind michael bisping and brendan fitzgerald she shoots oh up yeah she sees the knockout she sort of mouths oh shit and you could just see that sort of sadness in her face I think it was a really sad loss on the whole because Benavidez is one of the good guys of the sport. And you're thinking 35 years old, possibly his last chance to be a champion. And it gets taken away by a guy who really shouldn't have even been fighting, considering he missed weight. Yeah, I didn't really think it would impact the performance a lot. I thought maybe Figueredo would fade a little bit, but I, I didn't feel like there was enough time for him to fade. I feel like he had a lot of time to capitalize on his enhanced weight and everything and it really made an impact i feel like i feel like that was the most damaging performance you could see for somebody that misses weight like he was very overpowered in that fight i feel like he was very big in that fight and a missed opportunity as well for him because yeah person, imagine if he made the weight imagine if he made the weight for that that would be insane we'd be having a completely different conversation we'd be celebrating him because <laughs> i think what the flyweight division has needed for a while is that sort of big hard-hitting standout fighter that's going to definitely interest the casuals and i think mm -hmm. davison figueredo could have done that and especially as well being brazilian and how 
how poor that Brazilian market is right now. Having him as champion would have been a big opportunity. Yeah, and you could always set him up for title fights in Brazil. Like, could you imagine uh, Aldo and Figueiredo both fighting for a title in Brazil? That would be insane, really. If they could set that up somehow, but obviously that's not going to happen. I don't think Cejudo's going to budge on that Aldo fight, and I don't really see them moving that at all. And on that subject, it is actually happening. Cejudo versus Aldo at USC 250. Mm-hmm. This is a fight that Henry Cejudo has been campaigning for for a long, long time. He finally gets it. The big question is, is it deserved from Jose Aldo's perspective? Uh, well, for the Brazilian fans, definitely. If we were a Brazilian podcast, we'd be definitely overexcited for this. But it's quite strange, you know. I feel like we're getting a lot more different title fights now. I feel like Dana... He's looking at Twitter and he's looking at all these people sharing these great Aldo clips and maybe all these great Romero clips or something. And he's deciding, you know what, I want to set these guys up. Maybe he's looking for that crazy fight to already start off the year. So, I don't know. I just think it's a strange place that we're in right now. You know, really, this hasn't really happened since like maybe Frankie Edgar, you know, when he was coming off of those... Uh, Benson Henderson fights we haven't really seen anything like that so I I don't really know where we're gonna go forward maybe more Holly Holm fights I don't know (laughs) don't say that do not say that I could definitely see that coming up again so we'll have to see but I think it's I think he I don't want to say it's completely undeserved you know, you got other fighters like Peter Yan, you got Aljamain Sterling, you got some great fights you could set up there that I hope get set up. I don't hope those guys just sit out. I hope we get, you know, more Faber versus Yan type of fights. We get Yan versus, let's get um, Corey Sandhagen back in there. You know, he's on the sidelines for a while. Let's set up some of these fights, you know. But I feel like it might be a little bit too early to give... Although a title shot, but I'm not going to say it's going to be a boring fight. Definitely it's going to be a boring fight. And I think there's a lot of traits that Jose Aldo has, especially Prime mm-hmm. Aldo. Because the Hulu mm-hmm. likes to use that sort of karate-based style right now, like lead foot forward. And Aldo yeah. would just eat that front leg part. It's just whether or not Jose Aldo chooses to do that. Because for whatever reason, he doesn't throw his kicks as much as what he should have do. Yeah, a lot of people say there was like some knee surgery or something that happened a while ago. Is that right? He had some surgery maybe on his leg or something? Or maybe he broke it or something? There was some rumor, I don't know. I don't know for a fact, but some people say because of that, he doesn't really kick anymore. So, I don't, I don't know. That's the only. That's the last thing I heard on that. That's really the only reason. Maybe someone's his leg that he doesn't want to break it or something. Who knows? But he's got to bring that back be perfect right now if he has one breakout performance with leg kicks man it'd be perfect i feel like <laughs> and i think he'd be in top Cejudo, personally i mean great performance against marlon marais i yeah, think Cejudo yeah. is more vulnerable at bantamweight than he was at flyweight i think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people out there that could very realistically beat Cejudo at that weight class yeah, I feel like it's a definite stacked division. Like, you look at Ryzen, they got an amazing bantamweight roster. They got 
Guys like Kuro Koji Horiguchi, got Kai Asakura, Manel K. That guy is incredible. I could see that guy definitely coming to the UFC and being a top three guy. He's he's incredible if you haven't seen him fight. But uh, in terms of Cejudo going to bantamweight, I kind of wish we got um, Cruz versus Cejudo for his first fight. I feel like that would be, that would have been a better fight, but. Obviously, they were targeting the Brazil card. So I feel like in this fight, I think it'll be, I don't know. I don't want to say it'll be closer than most people are thinking, but we just don't know what type of Aldo is going to show up. So I can't really say. It's something we will discuss in a lot more detail when we get to May. I saw Amanda Nina just tuning out that she wanted either Anderson or Spencer. So I wouldn't be surprised if, that gets put on the card. Definitely wouldn't be surprised. It's expected at this point, I it feel like. It is expected, and we mentioned this before. I think if you've got a Brazilian champion, they should be competing in the whole pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. And again, we sort of touched that it is concerning that the only Brazilian champion isn't trusted to headline their home pay-per-view. In terms of which of the featherweights it should be, I mean, personally, I, I, would have, I don't even think the featherweight division should be around. But I've yeah. talked about that in a lot more detail earlier on. If I had to choose between the two, though, I would go with Felicia. Because I think Felicia, okay. she holds the win over Megan. And I think stylistically, it's a more intriguing fight. Because I think in a Megan Anderson fight, she's just going to get taken down straight away, ground and pound, round one finish. And even yeah, that was exactly Felicia what Spencer I was going to say. <laughs> even though I don't think Felicia Spencer is the most technical fighter in the world, mm -hmm. her size and her durability, she has a small, a very small path to victory in that fight. It's feasible. Yeah, I feel like in terms of Megan Anderson, I feel like Spencer has a more uh, complete skill set when it comes to MMA. I feel like Spencer, she's more well-rounded, if that makes any sense. But, uh, I hope that's not a jab at a weight. No, no, not, not at all. Definitely not. But I feel like Spencer could uh, definitely not stuff takedowns, but I feel like maybe she could uh, stall takedowns. I don't feel like she would be on the ground that very often with Nunes. So I feel like the stand-up could be a different story. But she had that fight with Cyborg, Spencer, where she didn't get like brutally knocked down that fight and went to a decision, if I'm correct, right? And if you look at the people who've beaten Nunes in the past, they're the same type of fighter. Durable yeah. who survive round one, get the fight to the ground, and take advantage when the cardio runs out. Yeah, because if you looked in uh, Nunes' last fight with Durandami, like, I feel like Durandami's ground game has never been her strong point. You know, she's a kickboxer, obviously. She had that, that fight with that man. You ever see that fight? I have, yeah. I mentioned it in the uh, preview show. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a great fight. I love that fight. So, uh, but she's a kickboxer. She's not really. I've never really seen her on the ground that much. She's always getting. Uh, well, I don't want to say she's always getting knockouts, but in the lad fight, it was a uh, standing up. She caught her flush on the chin there. You know, suspect stoppage, obviously, but still counts as a knockout. So we can't really say much on that subject because we talked about it a lot. But I feel like Spencer is a better matchup for Nunes. 
than Anderson, definitely. If you like Anderson, I don't really say you should give her another fight because who, who do you really give her in that division, she you know? Oh, okay. She says yeah. if she doesn't get the title fight, she wants to fight Jermaine on UFC 251. Okay, I could see that. I could I could definitely see them setting that up. So. I would love to see yeah. that fight. Yeah, that would be a great fight. So we move on to UFC 248. We have sort of touched on some of the big stories. Obviously, there's many more which we'll be discussing in further weeks later on in the show. But we are focusing on UFC 248. And... I don't know about you, I sort of get the feeling with the pay-per-views over the start of 2020. We've had sort of one or two marquee fights on each card. And I just feel like the undercards have been a little bit underwhelming. Now, this is a bit better than, say, 247 or 246. Mm -hmm. But we're still lacking that sort of superpower undercard in the way that we do for something like, say, a Madison Square Garden show or a Fight Week card. We haven't got that sort of show yet. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> I feel like maybe it's because they're sort of setting up maybe too many fight nights, if that makes any sense. Like I could see two forty eight easily having uh Dan Hooker versus Paul Felder on the uh main card. I could definitely see that. So I just feel like maybe they're setting up just too many. I feel like there's just too many fight nights where they can't really have two or three of those pay-per-views with strong main cards and strong prelims. Well, that I've makes any had, sense. I've always had the idea that they should strip it back to four pay-per-views. They should do the Brazil card, Fight Week, Madison Square Garden, and New Year's Eve. I mean, keep maybe sort of lower the, lower the number of fight nights, but use the fight nights to host some of the less popular champions. Some of the women's champions should make oh, their okay. titles on TV. But every pay-per-view that they have is a super card. Yeah, they could sort of go the Ryzen approach. You know, there's not that many Ryzen events. They prefer to do quality over quantity. In their Japanese MMA mindsets, like they normally have the huge New Year's Eve cards. Like that's pretty much their international fight week. So I don't think they should go as as infrequent as Ryzen. I'm not saying that, but I feel like you had a good point with the fight nights. They could maybe have those flyweight title fights on fight nights, and they could have those female bantamweight. Well, not bantamweight. I don't see a Nunez on a fight night, but I could see maybe a uh, a flyweight title fight on there. You know, more Shevchenko's and stuff like that. Well, Chev's done it. Um, Chev did it when she yeah. fought Liz Carmouche. And I yeah. think they wanted to do the Jessica Rye fight in Prague. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's something they have been teasing. And I think I think Jean Willy versus uh, Andrade was a fight night as well because that was in China. Yeah, that was a fight night in China. So let's focus on some of the undercard in a bit more detail. Now, we're going to be looking at the ESPN prelims as well as what we can see on Fight Pass. Now... One of the sort of big themes that happens with the prelims, when just looking at the card, we have got a lot of undefeated fighters on this card. We've got four of them in the prelims. Adesanya as well is headlining the card. He's unbeaten. And Sean mm -hmm. Whaley, outside of her debut, she's also been, what, 19-25 winning streak? Uh, yeah, I think she's on a 19-5 win streak. Do you think this was intentional by the UFC? So they can keep the idea of 
or we've got unbeaten champions, we've got unbeaten undercard. Uh, definitely. I feel like they're definitely trying to <laughs> prove a point there. You know, they got Sean O'Malley there, they got Madsen, they got Ronaldo Vieira. It's been a while since I've seen him fight, but they're putting him on there too. And they also got uh, Mufsar. You see that on the early prelims, featherweight? So I definitely think they're trying to make that a point that and they got undefeated fighters. Yeah, and Shabazzian was supposed to be on it as well. That's such a shame as well. I was looking forward to that fight. Yeah, I feel like that's a good fight to have as a co-main, but I feel like they pushed it too far, I feel like, all the way to April. Like, oh, come on, it could have been this weekend. I feel like that would have been great, but maybe you said it was Brunson that pushed for it? I believe so, yes. I think that Brunson had some sort of minor injury, and rather than risk it and try and get someone for Shabazzi on short notice, they thought, let's just rearrange the card. Oh, okay. All right. We'll have to see then. Um, in terms of some of the notable names on the undercard, obviously mentioned Sean O'Malley there. Now, this is going to be the first time that he's fought since, I'm tempted to say, UFC 222. That was when he fought... Um, uh, Sukmantar got that injury. Um, mm -hmm. Arguably, if Sukmantar fought more intelligently, could have very easily lost that fight. Then, of course, all the steroid scandals happen. This is really should be final chance for him. Yeah, I feel like um, this is really his final chance to really put on a show. If he makes it to the octagon, I'll be very excited to see what we'll see. Because normally, if he puts on a show, like, you, have you seen the contender fight? Like that, that was a great fight. If you watched that, it was Snoopcast commentary? I've never heard your opinion on Snoopcast. If you remember that at all? Well, I've never been the biggest fan of Snoop Dogg, <laughs> so it's hard for me to, to to have sort of enjoyed the Snoopcast. But I do love that kind of casual fight opinion thing. I've wanted to try and do something similar to it for um, for the YouTube channel, but. I just can't get any friends. I have no friends who like MMA, so <laughs> it would just be me sitting on my couch just quietly watching the fight, which wouldn't be good television. I feel like the Snoopcast was a great idea, and I feel like they should definitely do something like that again. A lot of people didn't really like Snoop, Snoop Dogg in that. I feel, like, I feel like it was a really good idea if you just look back at it and just don't even take it seriously, like don't take them seriously about it. And you'll have a good time. But if you really look into it, you can, I can see why people get pissed off about it. But I feel like if they bring that back in some capacity, maybe switch up the commentator in there or maybe put somebody else other than Uriah Faber in there with them. Like, that was such a strange combo, Uriah Faber and Snoop Dogg. It was such a strange combination. But it kind of worked. It kind of worked. I could see them doing something like that again. But... Sean O'Malley, back to the point, I feel like if he puts on a show, he could definitely put a statement on this card. Definitely his career. He could definitely do a comeback after all that scandalous bullcrap that was going on. Who knows if it was true or not? Maybe he got like a laced bag of weed or something. He <laughs> smoked the wrong stuff. But who knows? We'll just have to see what happens with the performance on Saturday. In terms of some of the other guys on the card... Um if you love your grappling, you're going to be loving some of the prelims as well. Mark Madsen, he's mm -hmm. competing again, absolutely dominated his UFC debut when he fought in uh, Fight Night Copenhagen. 
former Olympic medalist, 9-0 record, been blitzing everyone on the European scene. Rodolfo Vieira, great jiu-jitsu black belt, a lot of people rate him highly. Very winnable fight as well against uh, Stapabeg Saparov. And a guy, he's not unbeaten, but a guy also as well I think that's worth keeping an eye on. Devon Wynn. Now he has long time been the prospect of Daniel Cormier. A lot mm-hmm. of people sort of see he's a middleweight DC. Yeah, uh, I believe he was on... Where was he on? Was he on... Um... Well, he found his name of all places on the undercard of the Golden Boy pay-per-view. Yeah, I was literally about to say that. The Chuck versus Tito card. Like, that's where I remember him from when I was watching footage for that depressing moments in MMA video. I watched the whole card to see if I could find any good promos or stuff for Chuck versus Tito. But I did see his fight. I thought it was a pretty decent fight when he fought on there. I thought he did good against the opponent that they were giving him, but, you know, that's Oscar De La Hoya setting that up. But I feel like Duran Wynn, I feel like if he gets his, if he gets the mindset against Gerard Murchard, I feel like he could definitely show himself on top. could definitely do a good performance on Saturday. And I personally thought he'd beat Darren Stewart as well. Mm-hmm. It was a close fight. So we move on to the main card itself and going to our opening fight. Now we are in the welterweight division and we are seeing a former ranked welterweight, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He is taking on Max Payne Griffin. Betting odds for this one, you've got Cowboy as a minus 150 favourite, plus 124 Griffin. It was a late addition to the main card after Brunson and Shabazzian was cancelled. Now Cowboy is known for having his entertaining fights and after his recent form, lost for his last three, he needs one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had that great performance from Alex Oliveira. Like his last good performance was probably the the knockout that he had. Where was that in Brazil? Fight night one thirty seven. That quick knockout he had, or it looked like he had pretty much dinner waiting for him outside. He went in and knocked him out very quickly. Like that was his last big performance. So I feel like he needs to. He needs to show up against Max Griffin. We need to see that classic Alex Oliveira again. Sometimes you get these fights where a fighter just takes so much damage that you just wonder, are they ever the same again? And yeah. Oliveira, obviously he's got an aggressive style. He's, he's fought these bangers for a long time. But the two that stick in my mind, he had that war against Yancy Medeiros, UFC 218 which is mm-hmm. such a back-and-forth encounter. And then it was sort of like the first fight that really started this losing streak against Gunny Nelson. Some of those elbows he took on the ground were vicious. Yeah, that was a brutal finish. There was a lot of blood in that fight. It looked like uh, Bigfoot versus Kane when he cut him up on the, foot, on the floor there. That was really bad. He got cut up really bad in that fight against Nelson. And a lot of people forget he was doing very well in that fight before then. He dominated yeah. the first round on the ground. Yeah. And that's very hard to do against Gunny Nelson. Yeah, Gunny Nelson is definitely an anomaly that we'll have to talk about <laughs> one of these days. Next time he's on a card. Yeah. Talking about Cowboy, we've got a 19-8 and record. Now, it is a three-fight losing streak. Last time out, he lost to Nicholas Dolby. And there's also been losses to Mike Perry as well. Um... Again, I sort of I have fears that maybe we're sort of seeing a cowboy on the decline because you 
no offence to Mike Perry. Mike, Mike Perry's a fantastic fighter, and on his day, he can be a top 15 welterweight. But he shouldn't be beating guys like Cowboy. Yeah. <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you saw last weekend, he fought in uh, Submission Underground against Ally Aquinta, and he won. He won the fight. It was a ground game only. Like You can't really uh, throw any strikes, obviously. It was just purely a submission and he he won basically on control he didn't submit ally quinta but he won on control so proves you that he's not he's not a complete bum out there he's got some good ground game he's doing good if he shows up in the right mindset but he shouldn't be beating guys like alex Oliveira. you know that tear that he was on when he knocked out jake ellenberger and all that just something happened with his training i feel like but We'll have to see with Mike Perry. Perry's one of those guys who, fingers crossed, because we have seen us proven wrong many times before, I think mm-hmm. he's one of those guys who, because of the way he fights, there's no danger of him getting cut in the immediate future. Yeah, definitely. I could see Mike Perry being here, like, two years from now. I don't see Mike Perry going away for a while. I, I don't see what they'd be thinking if they cut him. That's going in your worst predictions ever, video in the next couple of years isn't it <laughs> yeah definitely but i stand firm on that point <laughs> i just worry that somebody's going to be listening to this and the moment i get something wrong they could be thinking ha ha got yeah that's going in a youtube video for all eternity yeah that's why i always get so wary when i go on podcasts and say stuff i always contradict myself if you ever notice that's why <laughs> i don't want to get called out <laughs> what would you say are cowboy's biggest strengths as a fighter uh, I feel like his, uh, maybe his, uh... Well, personally, I think it's his reach. I think the way he's very good at distance management. Sometimes that can come back to haunt him because he does get a little bit wild striking, as we saw against Medeiros. And when you have started to see some issues with your chin that maybe can cause him some problems later down the road. So I think he needs to go back to being, dare I say, a bit more of a a tepid fighter, more of a tactician, not try and get himself caught up in these big, wild swinging matches. And if he does that, we could see the end of the losing streak. He's going up against somebody, though, in Max Griffin, who, yes, he's lost three of his past four, but when you look at the guys he's been fighting, again, Mike Perry's in there, Colby Covington, Zaleski Dos Santos, tough run of opponents and he seemed to be holding his own against them yeah i feel like this fight is it will be pretty close like in my opinion i got max griffin winning this fight but i think it will be pretty close i feel like maybe uh it could probably go to a decision i feel like Oliveira never really goes to a decision but i feel like this one might be a decision for max griffin i feel like he gets it done and a very similar fighter as well to Cowboy as well. Rangy Boxer mm. has a tendency to get caught in the brawl. What I think he does have, though, is I think his takedown defense is a lot better than Cowboy's. Mm-hmm. So I do see this playing out as pretty much a stand-up fight. But if Cowboy was to get it on the ground, as we saw against Goody Nelson, I do see him having the advantage. Definitely. Definitely. We'll have to see. We will do. So your prediction is you're going for a Max Griffin de- decision. 
yeah, I'm going with a Max Griffith decision, but I'm also the guy that said Cerrone decision in the Cerrone versus Cowboy fight. I don't know what I was thinking there, so take it with a grain of salt. I'm leaning towards the same board. I don't see Griffin being able to finish Cowboy, but I just think the Cowboy has lost that step, so I do favor Griffin mm-hmm. between the two. A fourth defeat for Cowboy, that's going to be dangerous. Definitely. We'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see what type of cowboy shows up on Saturday. Hopefully better than one that showed up at 246. Definitely. I hope so. And no, Stephen A. Smith, he did not take a dive. (laughs) So we're staying in the welterweight division, and we touched on Sean O'Malley there, his return from a drugs ban. We've got another guy who is in a very similar position, and it is the quintessential UFC gatekeeper, Neil Magny. Returning to gatekeeper duties as he takes on Li Jingling. Yeah, Neil Magny, he's uh, quite a strange anomaly. He always seems to... I don't want to say he's on the cusp of a title shot, but he's always on the cusp of being on that top, top three type of level. Like, he's always trying to be in the top four, I feel like he could be in there. But he just... He always has those performances where he just... Something happens and he gets knocked out or submitted. Like, in the Ponzinibbio fight... That fight, he looked, I feel like Ponzinibbio looked a lot like uh, Paulo Costa in that fight. I feel like he looked sort of like a welterweight Costa in that fight. I feel like he always runs into these big fights, Neil Magny, and he just can't really perform in those type of fights. And that was a fight as well. He got pretty badly dominated in that fight. Yeah, it was a brutal fight. Be a bad matchup for him. I think a lot of people thought that Ponzinibbio was going to make easy work of it, but... When you are a fighter like that, where you have a big loss and then you have such a long break between that and your next fight, do you think that has any sort of psychological effect? Yeah, you really got to think it does. If you come off of, like, his last fight was in 2018. It's been such a long time. You got to think he's been thinking about that the whole time. If you're going into another fight and such a long delay, like... It's already 2020. Like you gotta think that's what he's thinking in his mindset right now. You gotta think he's worried about something like that happening against uh, Lee. You gotta think that that's uh, like something like that could happen. With Neil Magny as well, obviously the guy's got a 21-7 record. Now the mm-hmm. loss to Ponzi snapped a two-fight winning streak. But when you look at the guys who Magny has been beating over his last couple of years, there were wins which looked good at the time they happened. When you look back on them now, it's names like Hector Lombard, Johnny Hendricks, Carlos Condit, Craig White, who I think he took that fight on a week's notice. They're not great names when you look back on them now. Yeah. Like the Johnny Hendricks fight, 207, you could you could definitely argue that that was definitely a point where you could look and say, yeah, Johnny was on his way out. You know, he wasn't getting brutally knocked out, but he he was definitely on his way out. So, yeah, when you really do look at it, I, I agree with you. Condit, Craig White, Well, I did a video where I looked at guys who were saw downturns in their career after USADA, mm-hmm. and I found nearly all of them at one point fought Neil Magny on their way down. Yeah. Strange. <laughs> when we talk about Neil Magny, the fighter himself, though, uh, your big traits, you're going to be looking at his length and his conditioning. The guy just does not get tired. Mm-hmm. And when he gets to the grappling side of things, because he's such a long, gangly fighter, 
he's going to get those takedowns. And I think Kelvin Gastelum, for me, is probably the best Neil Magny performance in terms of just his ability to take down a guy like Kelvin Gastelum, who has fantastic takedown defense. I'd probably, probably put that as his best performance. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I think when you're fighting a guy like Li Zhengleng, who likes to keep the fight standing, likes to try and engage in these brawls, that sort of takedowns, and the body locks especially, I think are going to be a big advantage for him. Mm-hmm. I could see definitely Neil Magny going with the ground game on this fight. I could definitely see him trying to employ his uh, lanky style and trying to tie it up on the ground. I could see that. And in terms of his opponent, we've got Li Xiangling, 17-5 and record, and he's won seven out of his past eight fights. Now, most of them have been against sort of like Asian fighters, sort of on those uh, Chinese and Japanese fight cards that they do every time they get. But that win against Zaleski Dos Santos, which I believe was the co-main to the Zhang Weili fight, where Zhang mm-hmm. won the title, that to me felt like a real coming-of-age performance. Because Li just sort of been this... He's always been seen as this entertaining, wild brawl, and you can see that in all the performance and the night bonuses. Yet, I think in that fight we saw a slightly more composed leech, and it was arguably <coughs> his best showing in the octagon so far. Definitely, I feel like... In that fight. Yeah, he did. It looked great. What would you say are a leech's best traits <coughs> as a fighter, would you say? Um... Probably, I feel like his height really puts on an advantage. I feel like in his division, he's got that nice, uh, he's got good power to his punches, but he's not really too, too crazy. Like, he's not really a Johnny Walker. He doesn't really do any crazy flips or anything. The explosivity for me is the big trait when it comes to Leach. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of his striking and especially his takedowns as well, Maybe they're not the most technical takedowns, but they've got a lot of power behind them. So I think it will be interesting to see how the tech, the, the sort of technique that comes with Neil Magny goes mm-hmm. up against that sort of brute power of Leech. He can get involved in the brawls. He does have a tendency to leave his chin open, but nobody up until now has ever really sort of tested it and cracked it. Yeah, I feel like the only performance that he... Didn't really look his absolute best. It was maybe the Jake Matthews fight. And that was a but, fight as well that really tied his reputation as well because yeah. there were a lot of dirty moments in that fight. Yeah, a lot of dirty moments in that fight. But he's definitely gotten a lot better. Yeah. And I think it's good as well from Leach's perspective for him to actually be on this card because this is sort of seen as the coming of age for Xiong Weili, obviously the big mm-hmm. new star of Chinese MMA. So it's good to have China's first MMA star appearing on that card as well. I think that's sort of a good passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good idea. The big question for me when it comes to this fight isn't so much Leech's performance. It's going to be how Neil Magny performs. A long time out, he's always had a reputation of being this gatekeeper. Is he going to be able to return to form and perform at the same level that he was when he was always sort of in that top 9, top 10 position? Or is Leach a guy on confidence, high on form, going to take advantage of a rusty fighter and get the job done? Mm-hmm. 
I agree. Magny definitely has to show up Saturday night. He's got to put on a performance or else, who knows? We won't know when we'll see him again. <laughs> Leech is the favourite for this one, minus 175. You can get Neil Magny plus 145. You're the okay. better man. Which way would you go with this? I'll probably go with Lee on this fight, the Leech. I'm going to say Leech as well. I don't... I think it gets finished. Late finish mm-hmm. for the Leech. Yeah, I don't think it'll be like a quick first round knockout, but I could see him definitely getting a finish in the third round. We're going up, We're going down to the lightweight division for fight number three, and we've got two guys who are sort of outside the top 15 looking in and could have a big opportunity to do so with a good performance. Benil Dayush takes on Drakkar Klaus. Benil is the favourite for this one, minus 155, and Klaus you can get at 125. So some very close betting odds for a lot of these fights so far. And for me, the sort of big story around this fight concerns Dayush because I've been quite high on Dayush for a long time. I think he's one of those guys who I feel is very underappreciated in that division. He was in the top 15 around sort of 2018-ish. Had that loss against Alex Hernandez, and despite dominating arguably lower-level fighters, he still can't seem to break back into the rankings. Yeah, Dariush is definitely one of those anomalies. He can't really seem to break into the top top 10, you know, top 5. He can't really break into that. He always seems to have that one performance that really sets him back. So we'll have to see what happens on Saturday night. I do like uh, Close. I feel like this fight, it will be a good fight. It will definitely be, I don't want to say fight of the night. I don't want to get that much praise. But I feel like Dariush could definitely bounce back on this fight. Because if we look at Dariush's last couple of fights here, and he's won his last three in a row against Thiago mm-hmm. Moises, Drew Dorbeck, Frank Camacho. Looked fairly comfortable in all of those fights. And if you look at the people who he's lost to over the years, you've got names like Edson Barboza, the Hernandez fight, which I think Hernandez just started so explosively that it just yeah. caught Dayush off guard. He's lost to Chiesa as well, so he's not losing against scrubs. He's losing against guys who are quite high-level fighters. Yeah, I feel like anybody that goes into that Hernandez fight, I don't see how anybody could tame that Hernandez that showed up that night. He wanted, to, he wanted the knockout finish. He's actually but, back in action. He's going to be fighting... The rumour is he's going to be fighting Makachev. Oh, okay. So yeah, I think I've seen that rumour. Yeah, that'll be a great fight. What would you say are Dariush's biggest strengths as a fighter? I mean, for me, it's going to be his grappling. Yeah, his grappling. Definitely his grappling. Um, I think his back control, I think especially, is very impressive. Um, and I think as well... He's not just exclusively a grappler. I think his kickboxing has taken a real step in the right direction as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he, he likes to use the he likes to work his body for kicks, as we saw against uh, Krugshank. Very similar to RDA. I think if I had to compare him to anyone, he's sort of like a lightweight Dos Anjos. Yeah, he's got good uh, ground game, but in terms of his uh, stand-up, yeah, I could probably compare him to RDA. I feel like that would be a good comparison. And where would you say he's come undone when he's been fighting the Chiesas and the Barbosas of the world? I feel like maybe he doesn't... He doesn't 
have the right game plan when he goes into those fights. I didn't really know his game plan against Hernandez, but be interesting to know. But I feel like he just doesn't show up properly. He doesn't have the right game plan when he goes into those big type of fights. I feel like maybe it's a bit too much for him. I feel like he can't really handle those type of fights. I could sort of see that to an extent as well. I think there's some guys who... And again, we go back, I hate to say it, to Donald Cerrone. There's guys who can dominate mm. against the lower-level competition, but when you have to put him against somebody who... You put him on that bigger stage, if the fear of the lights out of Uriah Hall is exactly the same. Because mm-hmm. everybody says that Uriah Hall is just a killer when it comes to training, but there's just something about actually being there in the octagon that just makes them freeze. Yeah, I do like Uriah Hall's recent performances. He's he's definitely gotten a lot better. He's not really uh, turning away from his opponents and stuff. Like in the Brunson fight, I feel like that was the real turning point in his career. In the Brunson fight, that's when you saw his skid on those losses where he just didn't really have the will to put that kill switch on to really just go for the huge knockouts. He couldn't really put those together, but he's gotten better. I feel like we're going to see a better Uriah Hall next time we see him. We touched on Dayush's grappling and it's going to be tested big time. We get to mm-hmm. closer. 11 and one record dominant win over Christos Giagos in his last fight. And we've also got wins over Bobby Green, Lando Venatis in there as well. So we're dealing with a guy who does have a lot of promise if he's given the opportunities to do so. Cause the big issue that comes with Drakkar Closer is, yes, fantastic grappler, yes, dominating an opponent, but that sort of grappling-heavy style, it's not going to win you a lot of favours. Because we know what the UFC is like. They like their standing bangers. Oh, yeah. And I sort of feel like Closer is going to be one of those guys, dare I say similar to sort of a Kamara Usman type, where he's going to have to win 9, 10, 11 in a row to finally get the recognition he deserves. Yeah, I don't see Jokar Close coming in and knocking out Darius with like a huge knockout or anything like that. It will probably be a decision if he wins, but yeah, I, I don't think they're going to really push him that hard in terms of marketing. I feel like he's got to put it on for himself. He's got to make a name for himself. But I could see him racking up a couple of wins and getting his way close to the title. I don't want to say he'll become a champion, obviously, but... I think they'll probably make him rack up a couple of wins. In terms of close as a fighter, you're going to be looking at a guy who's great fighting out the clinch. Mm-hmm. I think his survival instincts are underrated as well. He has been close to being submitted a couple of times, but he's come back to rally. Again, though, it's this issue when it comes to just being a decision bot. And mm-hmm. against a guy like Dayush, who is very tricky on the ground and arguably does have the superior striking between the two. You've got to... I think you've got to be doing something more than just being a good grappler. I mean, it can get you far, but I think you need more than that when you start hitting the people like the Dayushas and further up the card, especially a lightweight, which is just a killer's roar of competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really going to be... See, it's going to be interesting to see where the, the winner of this fight goes. Who they're going to set him up with. Get, I can see them getting the loser of Kevin Lee and Oliveira. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. And I think with the winner, the winner's going to be looking at somebody, say, around that sort of top six, top seven. Maybe Felder. Yeah. 
yeah, that would be a good fight for the winner of this. But my question is, why do you think they put it right before the title fights? Why, why didn't they put a Neil Magny's fight before that? Like, why do you think they did that? Well, I have a little bit of a suspicion. I'm personally of the belief that the UFC like to have sort of a, a breaker fight on the main card just to allow people to sort of get refreshments, go for a toilet break before the serious stuff starts. And they either oh, okay. put on a low-level fight, which just has a possibility of a quick knockout. So we saw that with uh, the one Adams fight at 247. Yeah. Or they have something that's a little bit slower, a little bit tamer, so that people sort of like charge their batteries ready for the two important fights. <laughs> okay. I think this is going to be quite a grappling-heavy fight, this one, which mm-hmm. yeah. might not play well with the, with the casual audiences in the crowd. It's a fight that makes sense, though, from a ranking perspective, because Closer is a guy who has been on a good run of form, does deserve a jump up in quality, and I think he's going to get that against a, a sneaky veteran who, again, has the opportunity to get himself back into the top 15. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what happens. We will we'll do. See. Um, Dayush minus 155 favourite, Closer 125. I'm going to say... I'm going against the grain. I think Close gets a decision. Yeah, I believe Close gets a decision as well. Okay, so Clo- okay, so co-main event time. This is going to be one of two clips which we're going to be uploading onto YouTube. So we've got to make sure we don't make any sort of mistakes when it comes to this one. <laughs> I All right. Say, though, what a good fight we have. What an intriguing fight we have. The strawweight title is on the line. Joanna Jacek is trying to become champion once again, but to do so, she needs to take on China's first UFC champion, Zhang Weili. Betting odds for this one, as they have been throughout the card, very close. Weili, a minus 150 favourite. Joanna, you can get a plus 120. Now, I've called a lot of big fights on these preview shows. I've been doing this for about nearly two years now. This is probably the biggest fight I've had where I'm genuinely struggling to pick a winner. Because I think there's so many strengths that one has, which plays into the weaknesses of others. I think there's a lot of questions surrounding preparations for the fight, which we'll go into in a lot more detail. I think it's very, very intriguing. Yeah, there's so many factors with this fight that we can really talk about, to be honest. I don't know where to start. <laughs> well, we can start by talking about Zhang Weili. Now, you've got to think with Weili, it's 18 months ago that she made her UFC debut. She took on Danielle Taylor at UFC 227. One year after that, she's fighting Jessica Andrade for the title. Absolutely dominates Andrade. What was it, 40 seconds? Yeah, 42 seconds. 42 seconds, the fastest win in strawweight title history. And at that moment, you could argue a star was born, especially in Asia. Yeah, I feel like all the stars aligned in that fight. It was the perfect time, perfect moment, perfect venue. Because... When it comes to Andrade and Weili, I don't really have any issue with either fighter. I enjoy watching both fight. I think Andrade is so aggressive, can be very entertaining. But I was watching that fight and I was thinking to myself, the UFC wouldn't be too unhappy if Weili won that fight. Because the Chinese market could potentially be huge for them. Because we mm-hmm. know when, when China gets embraces the sport, they go all out. And obviously having a Chinese world champion 
they got the performance centre there as well, was always going to pay dividends. I think with Whaley, the big sort of query around that fight was it was an absolutely fantastic performance, but we still don't know all that much about her because of it. Yeah, we don't really know how well she'll perform in like a, a five-round fight. I feel like this is the perfect fight to make after that performance. I feel like this will be a good starting point to see where she's at. Because I think as well, I think the other big concern was as good as Jessica Andrade is, she is a very one-dimensional fighter. We know mm-hmm. that she's going to try and brawl to get into the clinch, get those big slams in there. So, And Whaley read that perfectly. She ate up Andrade's front leg with kicks, then avoided the flurries, caught that cute elbow, which just knocked Andrade silly. And from then on, it was knees and elbows throughout. It was a fantastic performance, but it was the perfect performance against that kind of fighter. You're not going to be able to employ that kind of strategy against Joanna, who is completely different. Yeah, I I could see Joanna immediately trying to clinch up when... Zang tries to blitz in like that. I could see that. I think one of the things that really appeals to me when it comes to Whaley, though, is just how much of an all-rounder she is. I think with the strawweight division, as good as it is, you've got a lot of people there who are specialists. So with mm. Jessica Andrade, it's grappling. With Tatiana Suarez, it's wrestling. With Rose and Joanna, it's their footwork, their sort of striking base. You could argue Rose is probably the most well-rounded of the, those four. But I think when you compare them to Whaley, who is got a lot of power in her hands as a striker, and as she showed against Jessica Aguilar, can be vicious on the ground as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, in terms of maybe the best striker in this strawweight division, what I've seen so far is probably uh, Rose in the first round of that uh, Andrade fight. She looked amazing. Like that was that was incredible boxing that she had there. So I'm gonna have to see more from Zhang. Like I don't want to say she is the best boxing, so we'll have to see more from her. But I feel like. This will be a, a great fight to see what what her style is like in this type of fight with Joanna's long, lanky style. We're going to have to see if Joanna tries to go in with a different approach than she normally does or if it will just be regular Joanna like she normally is. I think as a striker, I think Whaley... I would say Whaley is the best, is the most powerful technical striker. In oh, the okay. I think Joanna throws the better punches but she is quite pillow-fisted at the expense of it. But with that mm-hmm. power comes the tendency from Whaley to load up on her punches. And I think if you have somebody who is good at countering, she can expose that. Because I have seen times where Whaley has been exposed in terms of a chip. There was a fight when she fought, I think it was in, I think it was Cumberland Fighting Championship, she fought a Brazilian girl, got rocked really badly at the end of the first round, came back to win. And even against Danielle Taylor, who's quite a low-level strawweight, Taylor caught her with a good right hand, and again, she was wobbling. So you think if you have somebody that can match her power and expose those sort of limitations in a striking defense, there is an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see because Joanna, she's more of a, a volume striker, like that Watterson fight. It was just a lot of volume and just damage over time that really did Watterson in in that fight. 
So, yeah, we'll have to see. And what did you personally make of the Watson performance? Because I did see a lot of people coming out and saying they were a little bit underwhelmed by Ioana, that she she was obviously outclassing Watson and arguably should have been finishing her, but instead was just very content to take an easy decision. Do you think that's maybe a bit harsh from people? Yeah, I think it's a little bit harsh. I feel like Joanna was just trying to get that win back. You know, she wanted a big dominant win. Like, I feel like she just wanted to test herself throughout the whole five rounds because maybe she thought that she was going to be the next one to get a title and she wanted to show off that, yeah, I can go five rounds again. And outside but- of a few back takes, you never really felt that Michelle was going to steal the victory from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, we all know the story when it comes to Ioana. She has been at the top of that division now for, we're talking five or six years now. So we know she's a fantastic Muay Thai striker, great kickboxer. Uh, Her pace dictation and her reach have always been fantastic. But it's also a Ioana as well who has started, dare I say, to slow down a bit. Obviously, we saw with the first Rose fight where I think Rose's pace and Rose's striking really caught her off guard, led to the knockout. But even in the second fight, which was a lot closer, Rose still got the better better of her. So you do sort of wonder, are we seeing a fighter who maybe isn't that same sort of elite athlete that she maybe was? Obviously, age and father time does take its toll. Yeah, I don't know if we'll see... Joanna go on that insane title run streak that she did before uh, with the the Carolina fight and the Young Josh fight and all that. I don't know if we'll see Joanna go on that long streak, but I, I could see her winning the title again. I could see her putting all the stars back in place and getting the right game plan against the right opponent. I could see it. I just don't know if it's going to be this weekend. I really don't know. <laughs> I can't go on this fight. Such a Such an intriguing fight. There is a path for Ioana to win this fight, though, in my opinion, because, as mentioned before, I do think the Whaley's striking defense isn't the best, so I could see Ioana mm. potentially exploiting those sort of holes. And as we saw against Andrade and, again, to an extent against Shevchenko, if she does get taken down, she is very good at getting back to her feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her takedown recovery has always been one of her best things. But again, we sort of mentioned the chinniness of Zhang Weili. Yuan is capable of getting rocked as well, especially early in the fight. She isn't the quickest starter. And we've seen her get rocked against um, Carolina. Uh, Rose obviously knocked her out. Claudia Gedalia dropped her within like the first 10 seconds. Yeah. She's sort of got that uh, Cerrone approach. Like It takes her a little bit... A little bit of time to get going. Not nearly as slow as Cerrone, but it does take her a little bit of time to get going. I think this is such an intriguing fight for me. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard to predict a winner for it because I think you've got the fighter who has a lot of form, a lot of momentum, but it's Ioana. It's, it's the strawway queen. We know how good Ioana can be when she puts it all together. I think if I had to lean towards somebody, I would favor Whaley. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is arguably for reasons outside of the sport, which is you look at those training videos of Whaley, we see a focused, determined athlete 
who is just going all out aggressive because that's her only focus right now is to be champion and to retain that belt and to hold it for the next four or five years. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like Ioana's had that moment and she's starting to maybe make preparations for life outside the sport. So she's doing the Instagram thing. She's got herself the implants. She's <laughs> sort of the media side of the sport, outside mm-hmm. the sport, I should say. Have we still got the same determined athlete that put herself out there to become champion? Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. And there's a little bit of bad blood going into this fight. There is. There is. I wanted to actually talk about this on the uh, podcast at some point, but the, the trash talk between the two, especially from Ioana's side, this is one of those things that really disappoints me Ioana is. I don't think Ioana is a bad person, but she does take the trash talking far too far sometimes. She's done it before, obviously, with Rose, and then when she told Claudia to go back to the jungle... Is that mind games from her? Is that her trying to sell a fight? Yeah. I feel like if you look in the the Ultimate Fighter, when she was with Claudia, there was a lot of trash talking that. I feel like she was just hyping that up for the show. But I feel like it's right on the cusp of being too much. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe she's she doesn't know when she gets carried away, maybe. But... I don't think she's a bad person at all. I just feel like she likes to put on a show. And I think she's going to against Zhang Weili. It's a very compelling fight. Mm-hmm. If I had to put my money where my mouth is, something tells me Weili could finish this early. Mm-hmm. But the longer the fight goes, the more I favor Ioana. Yeah, Ioana, she's always good in five-round fights. The Rose fight... It- she was arguing that she won the fight. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I don't think it was like a razor close fight, you know, but we'll have to see. But she always is good in five rounds. But if it ends early, I'm going with Wei Li. All right, then. Main event time. This is the one that most people are looking forward to. Thank you for joining us if you are joining us on YouTube for this video in particular. Our middleweight title is on the line. Israel Adesanya is making his first defense and he is taking on the scariest welterweight, scariest welterweight, scariest middleweight of them all, which is Joel Romero. So the champion is taking on the number three seed. Adesanya is a minus 260 favorite. Joel Romero comes in at plus 200. Now, two years ago, pretty much to the day, Israel Adesanya was stepping into the octagon for the first time to take on Rob Wilkinson. Mm -hmm. Since then, he has beaten some of the best names when it comes to the middleweight division. Anderson Silva, Kelvin Gastelum, Robert Whittaker. And now he sits here with his record 18-0 and as the champion. But he's got Yoel Romero to fight. <laughs> and they're giving him that fight right off the bat. I just think that's such a strange idea that Yoel is getting the first fight. Maybe something was going on with Costa. Maybe that's why they didn't give him that fight. But I feel like maybe that's a bit too early to make the Costa fight. I feel like that could be a great storyline to set up. You could set up a lot of trash talk with that. That would be two young bucks going at it. I feel like it would be perfect modern-day UFC. Like That would be the perfect modern-day UFC fight to showcase the modern era, if that makes any sense. Modern era of new and up-and-coming fighters. 
Well, all indications were that they were going to give him Costa, but then Costa got an injury, had to pull out. And basically, they had the choice between Yoel Romero, again, one of the scariest fighters in the division, uh, but a guy who was coming off two two losses in a row. Yes. Or they were going to give it to uh, Jared Cannonier, who was the informed guy in that division. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, they went for star power. They went for... Because there is an argument that Romero beat Costa in that fight. So, and I think the UFC is sort of rewarding that. Very similar to Aldo and Cejudo, where they're thinking, yes, even though he lost, even though he's on a losing streak, there was an argument to suggest he won the fight, so we're going to be rewarding that. Yeah, it looks like modern-day UFC, they really stopped looking at just the plain result. They're not really looking just at, oh, he got the win. He gets the next contender shot or the next title eliminator shot or the next title shot. They just look at it as the fight happened. Like, they look at the reaction of the fight after it happened, I feel like. Like, they did that with the Aldo fight. Some people think Aldo could have won that fight. And I feel like Dana's just picking one side and he's going with it. Because he's the one setting up the fights in the end, so. I think the money, I think the money side to it is a big factor as well. Because mm-hmm. the guys who are getting favoured despite the losses are big, popular figures. Mm-hmm. So you've got, I mean, between say Jose Aldo and Petty Yarn, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen, Aldo's the biggest name. So it makes sense for him to headline a pay per view, especially in Brazil. And again, in this case, you've got you've either got Yoel Romero. Yes, two losses in a row. Or Jared Cannonier, who's still pretty much an unknown to a lot of casuals. I mean, personally, if it was me, I would have gone for Cannonier. I would have rewarded oh, him. I didn't. Him because I don't like the idea of guys on losing streaks getting title shots. Oh, I didn't know you were asking me a question, but yeah, in between in between those two, I I would pick Romero. Really, if I had a if I had a gun to my head, I'd I'd pick the Romero fight. And we will talk. Like... And we will talk about Yoel Romero in a lot more detail. Now, thirteen and four record. Mm-hmm. He has lost three out of his past four, with his only win being Luke Rockhold. A lot of questions about how good of a win that is. <laughs> look back on it now. But we can't overlook just how scary this guy is. I mean, at 42 years old, the guy is still... I mean, the amount of power he carries and the amount of explosivity, he's capable of beating and finishing anyone if he chooses to. Yeah, I really... (laughs) Romero, he's a definite strange anomaly, I feel like. He's the perfect type of breed for a fighter. Like I feel like his genetics were just perfect like everything about his body just aligned perfectly for him to be a fighter i mean what is it like 210 pounds and the guy's still doing backflips in skinny jeans yeah it's crazy at his age 42 and he's still going and when it comes to romero we touched on it there we've got explosive knockout power olympic level wrestling the guy was a silver medalist at the olympics but it is strange that even though he does have that in his back pocket, he seldom does use the wrestling because when he does, as we saw against Lyoto Machida, he can dominate anyone because it was just pretty much quick takedown, get you down, ground and pound, done in about 10 seconds. Yeah, he normally, uh, he always seems to make weight, but apparently, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, 
just an article came out two, 24 minutes ago where he has like 13 pounds to cut in only four four days. So we'll have to see if that does any impact on his performance. But in terms of just him generally, yeah, his power is pretty insane. He always seems to go for those huge knockouts in the third round. He's always third round, third round. If you look, every single one of his knockouts are pretty much in the third round. But he, he doesn't seem to gas out like completely he's always there you know he's not really pulling like a data 5000 or anything like he doesn't really fully shut down in later rounds to be fair i have better cardio than data 5000 yeah like anybody does but i think think he fights in a very unusual way as well because Mm -hmm. i think he does have a lot of concerns about his cardio and I think that was one of the things that maybe let him down when he fought Robert Whittaker the first time. So if you watch him during those first few rounds, he doesn't throw all that much. Mm-hmm. So he waits for rounds three and four, and that's when we see the big explosion. I mean, with the second fight against Whittaker, he hardly threw a strike in the first two rounds. Moment he did, in comes uh, round number three, drops Whittaker, very nearly finishes the fight. Yeah, his fighting style is sort of similar to... Dan Henderson, like later on in his Even Michael Bisping guard. fight. High guard similar to Henderson. Mm-hmm. Like it's very similar, but I feel like Yoel does a bit more. I feel like he does a bit more action. He doesn't really wait as much as Hendo. I feel like Hendo waits a bit too much in his in the Bisping fight, I feel like he waited way too much. I feel like he should have done a bit more action in that fight. But Yoel, he's it's got smart game plan, in my opinion. It's a good idea to wait until the last final rounds to do something. It's pretty easy to sway judges that way. And he's swaying Dana that way. <laughs> he got a title fight. What did you make of his performance against Costa? Because that was, as much as people say it was a fantastic fight, and I still love watching it to this day, it was still a loss. Yeah. And what sort of holes does he need to close? What did Costa utilize? to get the better of him in that fight. I feel like maybe in that fight, Costa didn't really, uh, didn't wait as much as his previous opponents. He sort of went for it. He sort of went with his power in that fight. He sort of, uh, sort of pushed the pace a little bit. But, uh, you know, it was still a good performance from Romero. It wasn't like a terrible performance. Like it wasn't an humiliating performance. It was just... It's just a loss when you look at it, but still, you can't really give a title shot up at something like that. And But he is. He's taking on the champion Israel Adesanya. As mentioned before, 18-0 record. Came off fantastic showing up against Robert Whittaker at USC 243. There's a lot of people hyping up this guy. A lot of people saying, dare I say, he's the new Anderson Silva. Is this mm-hmm. sort of praise justified? Uh, I feel like you could make an argument for it. You definitely could because he's got the undefeated record. He's got knockout performances over Brunson and Whitaker. But if you watch the Whitaker fight, I feel like if Whitaker had a, maybe a better game plan in that fight, he could have probably made it a bit more closer in that fight because if you go back and watch it Robert he threw a lot of winging shots in that fight I feel like maybe he knew Adesanya gets pressured when he gets pressured he sort of gets hit a little bit 
but I Robert was forcing it way too much in that fight. He should have mixed up maybe that idea, but with his just his straight punches, he didn't throw any straight punches in that fight. It was all long winging shots. So I feel like if you have the right game plan about Adesanya, you could beat him. You could possibly beat him. I think Robert saw the success that Kelvin Gastelum had because what mm-hmm. Kelvin did yeah. so well was he waded into the fire. And he got Izzy's respect from a very early stage in the first round. And I think mm-hmm. Whitaker was trying to do the same thing. And you could argue that Whitaker was winning that first round before the knockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love watching Adesanya fights, but I, I've been very careful not to get too high on the hype train. Because I think as good as his counter-striking is, as good as his kickboxing is, he is vulnerable. He has been caught before. And again, you're fighting a guy who is known for having his knockout power, who could very easily turn the light out. That being said, though, I think Adesanya's improvements, even in the sort of two years he's been in the UFC, he has made considerable improvements in handling, especially the grappling side of the sport. Mm-hmm. If you look at, I think it was his second fight against Marvin Vittori, he had a lot of issues dealing with Vittori's wrestling. And it was a split decision. You can make the argument that Vittori maybe won that fight. But when you go from that fight and then you look at how he improved his takedown defense, A, against Kelvin Gastelum, and especially against Derek Brunson, he is such a quick learner. And he's, especially from a guy who had zero grappling experience, he has embraced that side of the sport, I think, considerably well. Mm-hmm. I definitely think he's improved in his... In his ground game, in the Brunson fight, you could see in the if you go back and watch it in the first round, Brunson tried to make it a, a clinch war, but Izzy managed to pull out of it and he managed to get the the knockout in that fight. But Izzy does have problems with uh, big punchers. I yes. feel like big punchers. If you go back and watch some of the fights where he's been knocked out in kickboxing, a lot of them were like big punchers that just didn't stop just kept on going forward so yoel's one of those guys <laughs> yoel's one of those guys like we could see is he getting hurt in this fight it's there's definitely potential for it i just i think that adesanya is going to try and coax a brawl out of romero and i think he's going to try and rely on his counter striking to get the upper hand and i say that for two reasons one i think adesanya is confident enough that he can survive the big shots, but also mm-hmm. if he does, he exposes Romero's cardio. Yoel does not like to waste his cardio early, and I think Adesanya's going to try and get that out of him. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, uh, he's held up in five-round fights with that Gaslam fight. That was probably his most grueling five-round fight. He, uh, he went to a decision with Tavares, right, correct? That was a dominant fight as well. Yeah, that was that a was very the... dominant five-round I, was, I wasn't too sure about Adesanya after I saw the Vittori fight. Mm-hmm. Then I saw Tavares and I thought, hmm, I think this guy's making a lot of progress. It was the Brunson fight that made me think he's a star. He has the potential to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the Tavares fight. That's when I, that's when I started paying attention to Izzy. <laughs> and I think there's going to be a lot of people that could be paying attention to Adesanya if he wins this because... We do have, we talked about Zhang Weili and the impact that she could have on the Chinese market. Adesanya could be that next big breakout star the UFC needs. Because mm-hmm. we've needed 
yes, we've got Conor McGregor and we've got Khabib. We're needing more of those figures in MMA right now. Adesanya, because he's a charismatic guy, he's got a flashy style, he's a bit of a trash talker, as many people want to see him lose as they do win. It's that sort of perfect ingredients that you need to be a superstar. But he needs to get through this obstacle, and it is a big obstacle to do so. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Definitely this fight could be the fight that would uh, propel him to that stardom, you know, that marquee name that everybody hears about, like the Connors. What would seal it, though, is if he could finish Romero. Mm-hmm. Can he finish Joel Romero? I think he could. I definitely think he could. If it's in, uh, if he does what he you think he will do, where he cokes out the the energy in him in the early rounds, I could see him maybe getting a late finish if he manages to get Romero to gas a little bit. I could see him capitalizing. I don't see Izzy standing there letting Romero recover. I could see him definitely pulling one of those Brunson moves where he knocked out Brunson with the switch high kick and the punch. I could see him pulling something like that. So, yeah, I could I could definitely see him knocking out Romero. I don't think out cold fully. I think maybe it would be a TKO. Yeah, like a TKO, something like a Nate Diaz versus Josh Thompson, something like that. I could see it like that. Just not too early. Just don't get Kevin McDonald too. Yeah, do we know the referees? I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, I would assume they'll stick it to someone quite safe. I can imagine Herb refereeing that one. Let me look it up. Let me see. Referees and judges select. Oh, I think it's Dan Mergliata. Yeah, it's Dan Mergliata. It's Dan. <clears throat> Where's your money going for this one, then? I'm going with uh, Israel Adesanya on this one. I'm going to say Adesanya. I don't think he's going to do enough to finish Romero, so I think it's going to be another decision. I think okay. regardless of what happens, though, Paulo Costa's getting the winner. And regardless yes. of who fights him, that'll be a bar burner. Because I think Costa has a lot of traits that could give Adesanya a lot of problems, especially that forward pressure. Yeah, could you imagine five rounds of Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero? <laughs> There'd be no way that would be a decision. <laughs> that would be insane. There'd be no way that would be a decision. So, <laughs> yeah, either way, I'm happy with the winner of this fight. Either way. So as we've been saying many times when it comes to UFC pay-per-views in 2020, undercard maybe is a little bit underwhelming, but those two title fights have a lot of intrigue. We're struggling to predict the winner in both fights. And I think especially those two fights may well carry the rest of the card. I see another UFC 236. Mm -hmm. Underwhelming undercard, but the title fights make it something amazing. Yeah, I agree. And we hope that you enjoy the show as much as we hope to do so as well. I've got myself a little bit of a watch party potentially coming around for that one, which I'm really looking forward to. And we hope that you enjoyed our preview of UFC 246. We'll be getting that on iTunes and on YouTube as soon as we can. We also hope to maybe make a bit more progress when it comes to this channel. I've got myself a brand new studio set up. I'm buying myself a few extra bucket chairs. So that will hopefully be the new home for the preview shows when Tim and Max finally get back to me. Um, We've got ourselves quite a fancy setup here and we've got a great card as well to prepare ourselves for. UFC 249, 
Will Khabib versus Tawny finally happen? 